Welcome to Thrive, Building Resilient Families, Austin Child Guidance Center's first ever podcast. This podcast was created to normalize the challenges of parenthood and to provide parents and caregivers with strategies and support in their efforts to help their children to thrive in childhood and beyond. I'm Kristen Pierce Freaky, the Executive Director of ACGC, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, Taylor Nichols. Last episode, Taylor joined us to share her daughter's adoption story. Today's episode is a continuation of our conversation about her experiences as a mother and how her adoption story has impacted her entire family. So Taylor, when when we met in our previous episode, you know, one of the things that stuck with me about something that you said was, uh, well, there were a couple things, but one was that often when people are curious about uh, about your adoption story, your adoption process, or were there, when they're, um, you know, kind of trying to ascertain maybe, you know, if they could get some information from you and learn about your experience, sometimes they will ask questions uh, in ways that maybe are not the most intentional. And sometimes they will ask you questions in front of your daughter, which uh, is not always helpful for you or for her. And you you referenced, um, you know, an experience that you had with a medical professional who asked a whole bunch of questions, I'm guessing that were somewhat invasive or insensitive in front of your daughter. And that stuck with me for a couple of reasons. One is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm that, again, I'm a mental health professional, so I know that my lens is a little bit different than perhaps the average individual. But, you know, like I always ask permission, you know, if I see an adorable child somewhere and if I want to, you know, talk to them or whatever, like I'll always ask the parent, is it okay? I mean, I will always, but, you know, that's, again, my lens. Um, but I also felt like, you know, when you were sharing that, the, the one thing that jumped out at me is I wanted to empower you to say, you know, in those instances, you can interrupt people and say, you know what, I'm going to ask you to hold and I'm going to ask my husband, ch- other child, whatever, to remove my little one from this room or from this space, or I'm going to ask you to wait and ask me these questions when not in the presence of so-and-so. And I think sometimes, you know, those of us that are have manners and we're trained to be polite, you know, often are not willing to interrupt people or to seem rude, even when they're communicating things that are insensitive and unkind, mm-hmm. whether they know it or not. Um, but I also feel like, you know, as someone who's done so much work with uh, parents and uh, over the years, you know, do feel empowered to interrupt people when they are creating harm for you or your family, even if they're doing so in a well-meaning way or in a, you know, even a medical professional, because it's kids and your little one is four, you know, sometimes they don't always have the language to articulate mm-hmm. how they feel or what they hear or regurgitate, but nine times out of 10, they hear it and they're, they're processing it, whether they know exactly what it means in that moment or not. And, um, you know, sometimes those things, they, they seep into sort of, you know, we were talking about also kind of just insecurities that form or feelings of being unsafe, especially when they're outside of their home Mm -hmm. and their family, you know? And so I would just want to, I guess I wanted to say to you to just, sometimes we have to kind of put aside the things that we were taught about how to, you know, don't interrupt when people are talking and don't, right. When it's a, when it's a choice between that being perceived as rude and protecting our kids, I think protecting our kids 
is completely reasonable, (laughs) you know, and I just, I, that my, my, that hit me in my heart a little bit. And I just sort of wanted to extend that Mm -hmm. for you because I think that, that. yeah, I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of well-meaning folks out there who are not necessarily thinking about their words as clearly as they might, uh, and the implications of some of their words for the, for the kids that may look like they're not paying attention, but are hearing every single word that's coming out of their mouth. Absolutely. I think far too often, thank you for that encouragement too. I think that is something I'm learning in this process, even going back to that situation. I am sitting there, it's happening, and I'm my daughter is looking at me like, am I okay? And I'm letting her know, I'm okay, you're okay and I'm okay. And at the same time, I'm not okay, right? I'm like ragey, like, are you <laughs> kidding me? But I'm trying to regulate in a way that I can do it where my daughter, who's about to go into a surgery, doesn't feel scared. Mm-hmm. And she knows I got her. And also realizing that there are times, too, where our kids, we get to not be okay and then see that. And figuring out those things, I think, has been interesting as an adoptive parent because and you asked a question on our last episode of, like, what her experience. I'm not even sure all the time. So in a situation where I can assume based on past experience, I don't have that same level of, I'm aware of it more in myself. So I think at times it can keep me from being like, whoa, I'm aware something's not quite right, but I don't know what it is because I don't know that yet. I'm learning that. And so I appreciate that. And I think that's important for us to remember in all aspects of our parenting, but also just as people that this is something that I, I, I'm grateful that I hear a lot, but like people will say to me, I love how you talk to your kids. You talk to them like they're little people. And I kind of think like, they, they are, are. <laughs> they are. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking to is a little person who doesn't maybe have all the skill set to regulate and doesn't have the language yet to communicate, but I know has the depth of heart to feel and experience. And so when they are processing that around them, my my desire is for me to look at them and say, you have everything that you need inside of you. You are safe. You are secure. You are worthy of what your needs are. You have a right to advocate for those needs. Now, my job is to help you learn how to do that in a manner that helps you be safe and secure, that helps you get what you need. Um, but it also, I think, is important for us as adults to acknowledge in circumstances with other kids that we don't dismiss the value of their humanity because they're children, um, because it it is incredibly important to acknowledge the value of their humanity, the value of their experience. And I think kids take on shame far too often um, for things that we are unaware that we said or did. And I think we have to invite spaces, even as parents, to honor that process for our kids to hear what their experiences was. We just sat in a, a com- conversation with our oldest in a parent-teacher conference, and there was a couple things that we needed to talk about. And I, I just remember holding that tension of like, what do you, and he was like, mom, can you go ahead and say it? And I'm like, yes, what are, like, not, I don't want to say anything, you know, you know, like, you asked me to talk about some things, but not other things. And so, you know, at, at the end of it, we kind of just, we, re, we just reprocessed it together. I was like, was there anything about it that I said that made you feel uncomfortable or unsafe or 
could I have worded it differently? Did you feel advocated for, but also empowered to step in and advocate for yourself? And I think I'm constantly learning in that process as a parent too. So thank you for that. And thank you for even just the permission as a mental health professional to say, even in spaces where there is somebody on the other side of me that I need something to care for my kid from, it is okay for me to also set a boundary and say, hey, um, I know you're trying to do your job and I know there's things you have to get here, but there's also a need that we have, which is to honor the process and here is how we need that to look. I really appreciate what you just said. And I, you know, it's funny, you know, when my kids were little and they're big now, but when my kids were little people, my friends would tease me. They're like, Kristen, you talk to your kids like they're, you know, little people. And I had the same comment, you know, well, they are right. I mean, I don't need to use baby talk or speak to them. I mean, they're, they're little. And so they can't maybe have the same level of comprehension an adult would have, but they understand what I'm saying and I care about how they feel. And so I'm going to ask them, right. I'm going to, right. Recognize that, um, you know, they have some autonomy, if nothing else, over how they feel. And, and, uh, I want to give them the ability to express their need. Uh, you know, as with anyone, like I might not be able to meet every single need that they have the moment that they have it, but, I want to know what it is and I want to be able to say to them, you know, like even just sort of having them to um, helping to set their expectations. Right. So mm -hmm. I understand what you're saying. We can't do this right now, but we can do it in 15 minutes when we're mm -hmm. home or we can. Do, right. I mean, those kinds of things, I think, in our society historically, you know, I know, at least in my parents' generation, a lot of times it was like children were seen and not heard, not heard. right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that was sort of the name of the game, you know, um, maybe actually in more family, that's probably my grandmother's generation, but whatever. But so I think that just, just the evolution of sort of thinking about our kids as people who, small people, but people who have needs and who sometimes have a bad day, like we as adults sometimes have a bad day. Sometimes they just need a hug. Sometimes they feel insecure for reasons that are, specific or not, right? Just sort of woke up not feeling great. Again, these are all things that we as adults experience also, but, you know, because a lot of times in our society, kids aren't, they don't really have individual rights, right? Mm -hmm. Everything's sort of attached to their parents. And so they kind of get lumped in, but I think it's not a good habit to sort of lump them in either with other, their other siblings, other children, or sort of lump their needs in with those of their parents, because, they came through us, from us, but they're themselves, yeah. right? And uh, I agree wholeheartedly that we should honor them and relate to them as individuals who have unique needs and sensibilities mm -hmm. and to give them an opportunity to use their voices as early as possible. Um, mm -hmm. So I just, you know, and I think that that's, again, regardless of how your child has come to you, I wonder, you know, you have obviously an incredible husband because you guys have four children and two that came, you know, back to back and all the things that we've been discussing. I, I'm curious in terms of how your adoption journey, you know, if you are comfortable to speak a little bit for him, you know, has his experience been the same as yours, do you think? Or have there been differences for him as a father uh, of this little girl and, you know, and her sister? And I'm just curious, you know, how that has, in your estimation, been for him and, and for you too as a couple, I guess. You know, that's such a beautiful question. He'd probably be a great person to talk more about that. Um, but I hope you can hear the smile in my voice. Uh, yeah. Marriage is also a part of my personal journey, and I know we all walk different roads and get we grow in different ways, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so, but for me, I got married really young, and so being married has been a part of the shaping 
of myself, but also learning how to become an individual, being married young into growing into who I am. And so adoption in that, in our marriage and my husband, I think I carried that far more than he did, but it was always very important to me that we were both very aligned and um, how the impact of my daughter, both of our daughters now uh, on my husband is something that brings great joy to me. I think that that she, she just walked in and sat down and mm-hmm. she, and, and I think that it, even in his own upbringing story and personal journey, I don't know that he felt, I think he felt he wouldn't be enough. Um, and he, what if, what if he didn't have, he has an adopted brother. Um, he is his parents only biological child together. He has a half sister and adopted brother. And I think he carried a lot of shame, um, for the experience he had having parents married 35 years when his siblings didn't. And I think he carried some of that into our story with just fear of like, what, what if I hurt or don't show up right. And something about the way Emmy just came in and sat down. Um, and he is a good and incredible man who is on his own life journey and learning along the way. But I think he'd be the first to tell you that uh, his girls are stretching him <laughs> far beyond uh, in, in the parenting process of their emotions and need for connection and need to be heard in a way that is creating pause in his life or he, he wants to meet them there, but it's also making him slow down in, in new ways, which um, has been beautiful, but he, yeah, he's a deep soul. He's also a fun person to talk to. Yeah, no, I'd love to. I mean, it just sounds like, you know, I mean, I guess as you were saying that I was thinking they're stretching him as all, you know, as all daughters should mm-hmm. of their dads. Right. Um, you know, and um I think being a girl dad is a, I, well, I'm not male, but I would imagine, I mean, my, my thought is just that stretching him in good ways, making his heart expand and grow. And, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, as we were talking in the last episode, it just makes me think about, um, you know, all the family dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. And so the perspective, your perspective, the perspective of your husband, and I'm curious about your, you know, you talked about one of your older sons, but, you know, all of your kids, like how, you know, in my kind of uh, professional vernacular, that would be like the, the sibling subsystem, right? So all of your kids, like, what are their interactions like? How do they, you know, I mean, it sounds like, you know, they're just each other, and these are my mm-hmm. siblings, and this is what we do. But I'm curious, like, especially when you're, sounds like your son or one of them is certainly protective of both of his sisters, mm-hmm. right? And I would imagine that your older son is is as well. I guess, what are your dreams and thoughts for your kids collectively as they grow up together, as they move through life together? You know, what are some of the hopes and dreams that you have for them in terms of their relationship with each other um, as they grow up? What a beautiful question. Um I am one of six kids. I have five brothers. And so I grew up in a sense, the oldest, the youngest, and the middle. (laughs) Um, And I was comfortable with boys. Uh, That that felt comfortable to me and new boys. Um, Parenting has always stretched me, but being handed a daughter that I immediately knew that I would fight for her. Mm -hmm meant I had to go back and fight for the little girl in me. And so when I I say that to say, when I think about my children um, and the hope that I have for our family, for them as siblings, you know, I am, 
I am a part of a, a family unit that no longer has parental security in the same way that I always did. My dad is gone. He was a big part of our family. And so um, I think about this a lot, but I hope that I would, we would help foster an environment where our kids would feel safe to have their own autonomy. And yet they would feel the connection and compassion and acceptance of their siblings that would drive them back to being with one another. Um, that there would be a security in being individually themselves mm -hmm. that is found within the dynamic of our unique family unit. Um, that is, I know I am safe here to be whoever I am becoming at any point in time. That there, it, we are not in competition with one another. We are all uniquely made differently. Um, there is not one thing that is celebrated over another in our family. There is not um, something that mom and dad like more or want us to aspire to become, um, but yet what the values that our parents aspire for us to become is compassionate, caring, self-aware individuals who see the world through a lens and who learn to love. And that would be my hope for my kids. On some days, I really feel like we're failing at that. Um, you know, my husband was really raised for a big percentage of his life as an only children, his older half sibling and, and doctor brother are a lot older and spent time between mm. their mothers and his dad's house. And so there are times that he'll look at me like, what is happening? Like, what, what are they, you know, they're and I'm like, they're being kid, like they're being siblings. Yeah. They're, they're figuring out their dynamic and where they fit in this whole thing. You know? And he's like, they're literally killing one another. <laughs> um, but I also have to remind myself that, uh, you know, and I think even we've, we've engaged family counseling here and there with the parental help. And, you know, far too often, I think it's like, Taylor, you're living when they're 30 instead of when they're four, <laughs> be with them when they're four, you know, the don't like, I'll carry it way too far where I'm like comparing himself. And then he's not accepting that he's a different personality and he has a different need. And so we try to, we try to foster that in our home. Um, I think our our children pick up on what we're comfortable with, right? Yep. So a child that is um, adaptive and flexible and um, a pleaser as a parent, I think is easier, quote unquote, to parent than a child that is loud and communicates what makes them unhappy and wants needs or wants things a certain way, uh, isn't afraid to express that. I have those dynamics in my home. And so I think I'm constantly reminding myself when my child that is a pleaser is coming to me, what he is looking for is safety. He's looking to know where he fits in the middle of the chaos and the noise. Um, my youngest daughter is a spitfire. We call her spicy nugget. We call it, so our adopted daughter, we call her peanut butter and jelly. And then we call it our, our youngest, um, a spicy nugget and, <laughs> and they are so beautifully and uniquely different. But I also have to remind myself often that the noise can outweigh the other. And I don't want them to be competing in that. And as a family of four with very strong personalities and two, technically two toddlers, they're less than a year apart. So we have Irish twins, hmm. um, that I have a lot of work to do. And I, you know, we invite help in because of that, because I, I want to be able to know that this one is safe while I am sitting with this one and saying, it is okay for you to have really big feelings and not know what they are and just need to cry for a minute. We can't do that 
in the middle of, you know, the kitchen while somebody is doing their homework, we can't dominate, but we can go move over here and have these feelings together. Um, and then for the other one, when somebody's needing to have an episode where they need to be really loud and express themselves and tell their opinion, you cannot walk in and just be like, Hey, I, you know, I made great decisions today and I've not caused any, you know, you, I know what you're trying to do, which is that you're trying to like secure, like you're okay. We're okay. And they're okay. Yeah. Um, and that's complicated. It's complicated. Sure. I don't know that we're doing it beautifully, but we are trying to figure it out together. Well, you know, I mean, a couple of things stand out from what you said. One is that, you know, I love the. I think the most astute parents are the ones that recognize that they should ask, sometimes they're going to need help and then they ask mm -hmm. for it. Right. I mean, I think that that's, I think that's like possibly the number one parenting skill, right? Don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it. Um, but I think the other thing is that parenting is messy. Life is messy. Mm -hmm. I say this all the mm -hmm. time. And I think that um, that's okay. In fact, I actually think that that's as it should be, because imagine mm -hmm. if it wasn't, it'd be boring, right? And there'd be so much sameness and, you know, there'd be a lot less color in the world, right? And so I think that that's appropriate and reasonable. And I also think that kids don't need perfect parents. Kids need parents that are present, that are listening, that make them feel loved. They don't need perfection. They don't need a fancy house. They don't need those things. Like we get as, you know, in our society, a lot of times we get caught up in those trappings, but that's, kids want to know that their parents are there for them. They don't care about perfection. Um, you know, and I mean, I could go on with all kinds of statistics around kids that are, you know, have unkind, abusive parents and they're always want to stay, right? Because it's, mm -hmm. right? So that there's a, uh, a need and a loyalty and a desire to be with those that love them. And even when there are circumstances that are far from ideal, right? So in, like in your family where there, there are a lot of the ideal circumstances, parents who are engaged, who want to be there, who are listening, who are doing their best. And when they feel like their best isn't enough, they're doing research and finding help and doing all the things, right? Which you're doing. And so who also lose their, you know what, you know, Sure. That's right. Well, because that's what kids do. Right. Uh, and that's normal. And parents. Yeah. and parents as well. And I think, you know, again, this whole podcast is about normalizing the parenting mm -hmm. experience, regardless of, you know, again, what it looks like. Um, and I think that it's uh, I just I, I would want to say that I appreciate so much your willingness to share this. I, I am curious and will see if we can have you back again in the future just as an update maybe your husband will join next Love time to. i think that um you know i appreciate that um you know just all of the reflections that you've been able to share about your experience to this point you know obviously you've spent a lot of time thinking about it you articulate it very well um and I just really, uh, I have so many well wishes and good feelings for you and your family. And, um, you know, I think that adoption is a wonderful thing. I hope that more people do it. Um, and I know that I think this example that you've shared, I think will help a lot of people to make that decision and to feel empowered to take that step. And there's so many deserving and beautiful children out there that need adoptive homes and people mm -hmm. to love them. Um, and so I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you coming on again. And thank you so much for sharing. And if you have any you. final thoughts, please share them. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me here. It is an honor and a gift to be able to talk about um, what is shaping and growing me as a person right now. So thank you. I think even in a season of my life where I have had to step back from a lot of other things to really focus on 
the needs from my family as a parent. Um, it, it was a, a gift. And so in normalizing parenthood, I want to say that out loud that um, you asking me to share what I'm learning in this journey, not so much what I know, but I'm what I'm learning uh, is an honor to me because it is an affirmation that the work that I am doing and what I'm choosing out of honestly having lost a parent and realizing that I'm not promised tomorrow, um, but the people that I want to remember me, I want to have invested in them in a way that they can remember who I want them to remember. And I hope that I get a long, long time to do that with them. But I also realize I've got to, I've got to honor the decisions I make day to day. And you said, you know, kids don't want a fancy house and all the things. I think we have to say that again and again, kids want our time and our space. And I am not, I am not great at that. I think if you interviewed all my kids, they would say, I don't do it in the way that they would like it to be. So I'm constantly growing in that. Um, but I think we can forget that what creates resilient children is a sense of confidence and awareness in themselves, um, that they are capable um, and that just because it's hard doesn't mean it's wrong. And that just because they make a mistake doesn't mean that they're defined by it. It is simply a learning opportunity. My, there's a guy named uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson, and he's done a lot of research on shame. And he has mm-hmm. a book called The Anatomy of the Soul. Mm-hmm. And it has taught me so much about how desire, shame is comes out of desire. And then we attach a negative or a positive thing to desire. And so I think even with our kids and desiring time or desiring connection, we can add shame to that by saying like, I'm working my butt off here to get, you know, provide you your scooter and give you your whatever. When we have to stop and see what we actually, are we actually setting the boundaries that are right for our parenting? And I think there's values that come into play in that. We have to be able to be reflective on that because we can spend our whole life building a life that we want someone to experience and not really checking in to see if the life that we're building or the parent that we're becoming or the person that we are, we are trying to be is actually the person that's being experienced. And so in parenting, I think you said it in the very beginning, maybe in our first conversation together, that parenting is an invitation for our learning. And um, I see that again and again. And I think in a culture where we perpetuate you know, move to the right neighborhood, get your kids in the right school, get them the right tutoring, get them the right opportunity. Um, I think far too often we take out the very beautiful gift that is allowing our kids the space to fail, Mm -hmm. to struggle, to experience um, suffering, to, to have things be complicated, to have relational challenges that they have to lean into, to experience difficulty. We take away the difficulty and then when they become a parent like me and all of a sudden it is hecka harder than they thought it was going to be, they think something's wrong with them. And instead they can start understanding, Oh, this is something that's going to require a little bit more dedication, a little bit more self-awareness. I'm going to have to learn some new things, ask for some help in new spaces. And so I hope that as a culture, we can come together and quit making about, you know, so-and-so's kid that does this, that makes my kid react instead say, Hey, I see that that's really upsetting to you and triggering to you what is it that we can learn in this experience you're in a dynamic with a teacher that's really challenging to you it may not be the education experience that we hoped for but instead of me coming in to change it what does it look like what opportunities are we being given to learn together in this 
Um, and I think if we do that, if we really start to do that and empower our kids, I think there's a lot of possibility for love to grow in the world and for people to see um, far beyond what's in front of them, which is really what adoption has taught me. Taylor, you're my soul sister. So many of the things that you're saying, I speak that and think that all the time. Thank you so much. I appreciate all of your words, all of your thoughts. And I, again, wish you and your family and your little ones nothing but the best. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And thanks for this conversation and creating a space for the struggles and the joys of parenting um, to be normalized and be a conversation that we get to have more authentically with one another. You're welcome. Thanks. It's been a great conversation here on the Thrive Building Resilient Families podcast. We hope you were able to listen a little, learn a lot, and leave with a better understanding of this important topic. You can follow Austin Child Guidance Center on Twitter and Instagram at ATX Child Guide and Facebook at Austin Child Guidance Center to stay updated with this podcast and other resources. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode, so stay tuned. Thank you for listening and thank you for prioritizing the mental health needs of your family. See you next time.